Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to the Service Equipment Third Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. This call is being webcast and a replay will be available on Service's website. You may access the accompanying presentation now by going to the investor page of Service's website at serviceequipment.com. Service will conduct a question and answer session for analysts and institutional investors as part of today's call. Instructions will be provided for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has difficulties hearing the call, please press star zero for operator assistance. I will now turn the call over to Service's Chief Financial Officer. Mr. Adam Lauther, please go ahead. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today to discuss the results of service equipment for the third quarter of 2020. On the call with me is Angela Lacassis, Services President and Chief Executive Officer. Also joining us today is Scott Johnson, Services Chief Operating Officer, who will be available for the question and answer portion of the call. Before we continue, I'd like to advise listeners that this presentation may contain forward-looking statements and information that is subject to certain risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. For a complete discussion of the factors, risks, and uncertainties that may lead to actual results or events differing materially from those expected, please refer to Service's most recent annual and quarterly MDNA, which are available on our website. Please note that during today's call, we will discuss non-GAAP financial measures, including results on an adjusted basis and key performance indicators. We have included reconciliations of these non-GAAP financial measures to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures in our MDNA. Turning to slide four, I'll walk through the components of the quarter-over-quarter change in adjusted income before income tax. Overall, adjusted income before income tax increased $15 million, which is seen in comparing the two gray bars on the far left and far right margins of the chart. This quarter-over-quarter improvement was underpinned by the strong performance of our agriculture segment while our transportation and industrial segments contributed a nearly three-fold increase in adjusted income before income tax in the quarter, despite transportation and industrial experiencing some of the heaviest impact of adverse economic conditions presented by the pandemic. Moving left to right, the $14 million increase in gross profit reflects a 14% increase in overall equipment revenue and a 9% increase in overall product support revenue. Combined with an $8 million reduction in inventory impairments quarter over quarter. Sales commissions increased in line with accelerated equipment sales, and general and administrative, or GA expense, decreased $500,000 in a quarter. Excluding the current period increase in performance incentives and the pandemic bonus to frontline workers, GA decreased $5 million quarter over quarter. Net finance costs decreased $1.1 million related to a reduction in inventory financing, long-term debt, and interest rates. The combination of these factors resulted in a $15 million increase in adjusted income before income tax in the quarter, seen comparing the two gray bars. During the third quarter, 
We earned $5 million of Canadian emergency wage subsidy funds related to our second quarter results. We've excluded this amount in the calculation of adjusted income. Turning to slide five in the balance sheet, we have been successful in reducing total inventory by $115 million compared to 12 months ago, reflecting a $95 million decrease in agriculture inventory and a $20 million decrease in our transportation inventory. With the net cash freed from this inventory, service repaid all amounts owing under our syndicated operating facility and our capital facilities. This improved discipline with our largest asset, inventory, has further increased our financial flexibility and strengthened our key lending ratios. As September 30, 2020, we had $158 million of financing available, including $110 million undrawn under our syndicated credit facility and $27 million in cash. We are pleased with the strength and financial flexibility our balance sheet provides as we navigate the uncertainty associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. During the quarter, we also repurchased 290,000 shares under our normal course issuer's bid at a cost of 2.1 million and declared a quarterly dividend of one and a half cents per share to shareholders of record at September 30th, 2020. During slide six, our operations continue to generate strong cash flow across industry cycles. For the trading 12 months, and in September 30th, we generated adjusted free cash flow of $56 million, an increase over the $21 million generated for fiscal 2019. Adjusted free cash flow determines the cash from operating activities before changes in inventory and the remaining components of non-cash working capital, but it does include sustaining capital expenditures. As a result, the increase in adjusted free cash flow reflects the significant underlying cash generating capacity of the business excluding the noise from changes of inventory and related floor plans. Please refer to our MD&A for a more detailed discussion of this metric. I will now turn the call over to Angela Lacazas, President and CEO of Service, for some commentary and closing remarks. Angela? Thank you, Adam, and good morning, everyone. I'd like to spend a few minutes today connecting the dots on how the execution of our strategy rolled out at last year's Investor Day has delivered performance during these tumultuous and uncertain economic times. We made progress towards each of our three strategic priorities of product support growth, absorption, and return on invested capital through inventory management, despite the impact of COVID-19. Third quarter product support revenue increased 9.1 million in our ag segment as a result of our new Greenfield Parts and Service dealership in Nippon, Saskatchewan, expanded product offerings, increased capabilities for online parts, and expansion of on-site inventory at our customer sites. These activities, enhanced by an early harvest, delivered a 26% increase in agriculture parts revenue. In our transportation and industrial divisions, product support revenue narrowly missed matching the performance of the third quarter of 2019. We saw significant pressure on service revenues as trucks were sidelined and industrial training and preventative maintenance programs were directly impacted by mandatory economic shutdowns and physical distancing requirements. The profitable growth of product support, combined with sustainable cost reductions from a leaner organization and operational efficiency, contributed to delivering on our second priority of improving absorption. 
Absorption is the bellwether for dealerships to achieve break-even performance before selling any equipment. Agriculture absorption improved from 87% to 94% in the first nine months of 2020, while transportation and industrials' effective management of activity-based costs in response to COVID-19 contributed to maintaining absorption levels year over year. I will now turn to our third strategic objective, driving return on invested capital through the effective management of our largest asset inventory. Actions taken to improve our agriculture equipment sales and trade-in practices and an increased focus on improving the velocity of used equipment sales through the trade washout cycle resulted in agriculture delivering used equipment inventory turns of 2.78 times at September 30, 2020, exceeding both our long-term objective of 2.5 times and the prior year turns of 1.65 times. This increased turn velocity directly correlates to the 25% growth in used equipment sales and reduced inventory impairments compared to the prior year. This achievement was accomplished simultaneously with increased gross margin percentage on used equipment sales. Agriculture is by far, far our largest contributor to profitability, and the back half of the fiscal year is significantly influenced by the Canadian harvest season. In Alberta and Saskatchewan, the majority of our producers have completed an early harvest in 2020, producing above-average quality crops supported by warm and dry weather. This is significantly ahead of the five-year average and in stark contrast to the challenging conditions experienced in 2019, which resulted in harvest being significantly delayed into the fourth quarter. We anticipate this has shifted some equipment sales and product support activity earlier as compared to 19. In our agriculture segment, Western Canadian producers have faced numerous headwinds in recent years, resulting in net cash farm income reported for the 2019 calendar year, marginally improving from 2018. In Australia, our region has also experienced positive growing conditions and increased farm cash receipts supported by an extended government tax incentive on capital expenditures. The realization of a successful 2020 harvest and the improvement in crop prices over 2019 has provided a boost to farmer sentiment. However, our customers remain cautious given the continued uncertainty around trade issues and the broader economic impacts of the pandemic. With our used inventory at an optimal level, we are well positioned to obtain customer commitments to new equipment for 2021 delivery. This will be the focus for our sales team through the fourth quarter of this year a marked change from the 2019 focus on reducing our used inventory levels and providing product support during a late and difficult harvest. This shift in sales focus, combined with the early completion of harvest, is anticipated to result in lower sales activity in the fourth quarter relative to 2019, as new equipment commitments made in the fourth quarter will not be available for delivery until the spring, and the demand for used equipment subsides as harvest has now passed. Moving to slide 11, the outlook for the Class 8 market remains tempered by the contractions in economic activity across Ontario's key industries and the recent increases in COVID-19 cases reported for the province. While the easing of pandemic-related restrictions on the Ontario construction industry supported vocational truck sales during the third quarter, this market typically slows in the latter part of the year. 
As well, the impacts of COVID-19 resulted in many underutilized fleets choosing to defer capital expenditures. Our Saskatchewan dealerships have been similarly impacted, experiencing both the general decrease in economic activity related to the pandemic, compounded by the decline in the price of oil and related oil field activity. We will navigate this market by continuing to service the base level of ongoing transportation activity while accelerating actions already underway to deliver internal efficiencies and win an increased share of the existing truck market. Turning to our industrial segment, our dealerships have resumed preventative maintenance on customer sites and are providing training offerings to customers at reduced capacity in compliance with physical distancing requirements. We anticipate that a foundational level of demand will remain as consumer and industrial staples continue to move. Our dealerships are active in the support of these customers while continuing to monitor the potential impact of a second wave of COVID-19. Before concluding our prepared remarks, I am pleased to share that in recognition of the unprecedented nature of the pandemic and our role as an essential service, we are providing a pandemic bonus to recognize our frontline employees. Our exceptional performance in the quarter reflects our employees' commitment to safety, supporting our customers, while also implementing innovative initiatives aligned with our long-term objectives. These actions have service well-positioned to perform in current market conditions and to take advantage of an eventual economic recovery. Operator, we are now ready for the question and answer portion of our call. We will now conduct the question and answer session for analysts and institutional investors. If you have a question, please press the star key followed by the one on your touchtone phone. Please ensure you lift the handset if you're using a speakerphone before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for the first question. Your first question today comes from the line of Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities. Please proceed with your question. Thanks very much and good morning. Um, good morning. Angela, Angela wanted to ask, in terms of the pivot to new equipment sales that you mentioned uh, relative to the sales force going into Q4, would you say that there's still a preference among farmers for used equipment, or do you think that the macro backdrop has improved enough to sort of shift that? I think that our um, producers are still being very cautious, but I think the perfect person to answer this is Scott. He's dealing day-to-day with the farmers, and I would turn that question over to Scott. Scott? I think our, our producers, as shown in our revenue generation we have an equal split between new sales and used sales. I think the uh, producers relative to um, the positive both yield and quality in, in 2020 is allowing them to better understand their cash flow going forward, although it's tempered by uh, COVID-19 and the, the limitations of socialization and um, the challenges that that creates relative to uh, the logistics system. So going forward, I see a blend, and I don't uh, 
currently with our OEM on the John Deere side, uh, we are moving to an early order program, trying to get customers to basically commit and uh, order equipment one year in advance with delivery the following year. So um, there's some shift in the marketplace, but it's tempered currently. Okay, that's helpful. Um, on the trucking side, there's been a pretty robust recovery, at least as it relates to consumer freight. Um, can you speak to the outlook for your transportation business in Saskatchewan versus Ontario in that context? Well, basically, the um, model year from the OEMs change changes in January. So for the most part, fleets hold off and do not um, uh, acquire additional capacity in the months of um, the fourth quarter uh, and defer those purchases to the beginning of the following year. Oil and gas is definitely still suppressed, so we're not seeing that activity. The positive harvest in Saskatchewan basically is is supporting the business that we do have on the grain handling side. In Ontario, uh, obviously going into phase two of COVID, that has tempered the economy somewhat. Uh, as we know behaviorally, people have basically adjusted their di disposable income from entertainment, restaurants to purchasing consumer goods. So what we're seeing with our customer base is some segments basically are um, business as normal, and then we have other segments that are absolutely decimated by um, COVID. So um, right now it's kind of steady as we go. Uh, Cheryl Lynn, it's Angela. I'll maybe just add to that that PACCAR did come out in their third quarter release talking about um, an increase in their expectations of uh, Class 8 truck deliveries in 2020. Um, they saw an increase of about 10 to 20 percent from, from the decreased uh, projections that they had earlier in the year. But I would say that uh, Canada is a little bit more tempered than the U.S., so that is largely driven by the U.S. And I'd also say that that increase is largely driven by uh, fleets getting back into the market. And just a reminder that our market in Ontario is um, certainly leaning towards the majority of vocational business, uh, which we see the activity in spring and summer as opposed to in the fourth quarter. Okay, and then last one for me. Um, how is the board thinking about continuing to trade off a lower dividend against share repurchases? Yeah, maybe I'll ask Adam to uh, give you a response on that question. Sure, good morning, Sherilyn. So when we reallocated the dividend to share repurchases, um, I think we, we've picked up about 290,000 shares in the quarter at um, – pretty low discount relative to tangible book value. And, um, you know, the, the purpose of that was to not reduce the distribution, but to reallocate it. And so as we've seen some share price movement lately and uh, our cash position is positive, um, we're in a position to sustain that distribution. And the question becomes, what venue does it uh, fit best in? So the board makes those decisions quarterly and, and uh, typically the fourth quarter would be in that middle of December range, so we're looking forward to what comes out of that. Thank you for the time. That's all from me. Thanks, Sherilyn. And again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Fast with Raymond James. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. 
Good morning. Um, just looking for some clarity. I mean, how are you thinking about uh, M&A here? I know that the pandemic makes it difficult to perform uh, proper due diligence, but are you starting to see those channels open up again? And if so, are valuations looking more compelling relative to the start of the year? Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, we have been uh, kicking tires um, all along, uh, Brian, and certainly with our strong balance and, and our liquidity, um, we are in a position to entertain opportunities. As we think about M&A, we kind of break it into two buckets. There's the large OEM um, acquisitions of further John Deere Peterbilt dealerships, and as you know, you need to have, uh, that's a three-way marriage with a willing buyer, willing seller, and most importantly, a, a willing OEM. Um, so it's not so much about the valuations in that space. It's about the OEM's desire for a certain map of dealership locations. Um, as we look at sort of non-large OEM um, activity, I think there's there's more stuff that's coming on the market. I'm not sure that valuations have been totally adjusted to people thinking of the market today. I think um, what I'm seeing anyways is sellers still have a pretty high expectations of what their business is worth, even though um, we haven't, uh, they haven't seen the financial results through the last year. So uh, it certainly, uh, it may be an opportunity to pick stuff up, but um, we, we don't have anything uh, right now that um, would be significant that we're pursuing. Okay, thanks. Um, and then maybe just on inventory levels, I mean, you've, you've done a good job at, at bringing those down. Um, just going forward, uh, how will these be managed and maybe what measures do you have in place to, to, to manage this? Oh, that's a, there's, a, there's a lot of measures that, that we've put in place to manage it, but it's really, it's cultural and it's uh, sales-based training. And we've done an amazing job with our sales force, particularly in ag. And I'll maybe flip that question over to Scott because I think he really deserves the credit for making changes there. Scott? What we've done is we've implemented uh, many different uh, types of controls, checks and balances, uh, standard operating procedures that will allow this discipline to continue. We've upgraded our trade guides, which basically obviously get adjusted about every six months. Um, all of the deals that come in basically have to be in adherence with the uh, trade guides. On-site evaluations are now done electronically, and then we also reconcile the reconditioning costs back against uh, what was booked at the time uh, the trade was accepted. And, and we have basically a, a recourse system with our account management group to make certain that um, they adhere to the systems and controls that we put into place. And, and as stated, these will be um, uh, definitely managed in the same manner as you've seen in the last 12 months going forward. And probably just the last point to add is that um, we've built that turn into our compensation structure. So it's always front and center, and it impacts um, everyone's compensation. Okay, thanks. And then maybe um, one last item here. Uh, or maybe I missed it, but can you quantify how much the pandemic bonus to frontline workers was? And really, I'm just looking uh, – to see what the drop in SG&A would have been year over year, excluding uh, the payments. Sure. So for the employees, it, uh, frontline pandemic bonus is about uh, between two to three million. Okay, that's helpful. That's it for me. Thanks. 
Thank you, Ms. Lacastis and Mr. Lopez. There are no further questions in queue. Well, thanks everyone for joining us this morning. Um, Adam and I look forward to speaking with you again following the release of our year-end results. And ladies and gentlemen, we will now disconnect the conference call and webcast. Thank you for your participation today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.